Hi everyone, this is Alicia Halliday and welcome to the weekly Autism Science Foundation Science Podcast. As a reminder, links to the publications I discussed are posted on the podcast summary at asfpodcast.org. For over two decades, Kathy Lord has been tracking a group of almost 200 autistic people who were first diagnosed in North Carolina and Chicago when they were only two years old. First, that shows her enormous commitment to families. But second, it also provides irreplaceable data on people with autism as they go through childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. It can make some predictions about how early features may lead to later symptoms. And these data attempt to show you how important intervention is. I say attempts because you can only imagine the variation in what types, forms, duration, and intensity of the intervention exists. Of course, not all of the 200 people are still around and willing to participate, but a good number have been followed to age 19. And recently, an update on what was going on with them was published. I talked to the first author, Vanessa Hoosball, who is now the first Karmazin and Lillard Chair in Adult Autism at Rutgers in New Jersey. Now, the author showed that socio-emotional reciprocity in autistic adults differed based on their language development. And this language development was measured over time from when they were two. Now, everyone showed improvements on nonverbal communication, but those who had some language were the ones that showed the improvements in developing and maintaining relationships. The authors conclude that what is used as diagnostic markers in kids may not necessarily be the same features in adults. Autism diagnosis, it still stayed stable, that is, pretty much everyone kept their autism diagnosis, but the nature and features of autism do change over time. I asked Dr. Hoosball about the findings, and I'll report back what she told me. So I first asked her, I think someone may initially read the longitudinal paper and assume, like I did, that the severity of at least social communication symptoms tends to decrease over time. Reading through the discussion, however, I understand what you mean. They're just different, and we shouldn't think of it as better or worse. Vanessa, can you comment on how and if symptoms change over time in this domain and how the construct of autism may change in these people with autism? So Vanessa replied this. I think you said this, but I'll highlight two main points. First, people with autism or autistics, whatever term you prefer, do show improvements in skills, and it's important that we emphasize to the general public, practitioners, and everyone that autism is a developmental disorder. So as highlighted by other research prior to this publication, we should expect to see growth and development. Second, because we expect to see growth and development, it's important that we are very cautious when we apply what we know about autism in children to autism in adults. This means if we use a measure that was designed primarily in children or even validated in children, we should probably not be surprised if it does not fully capture the range of abilities and challenges in adults. So, at the very least, we need to be very careful about how we interpret findings from childhood measures. As you said, on the surface, it may appear to be a, quote, decrease in severity, but it's likely to be more complex. And I'd say we need to go a step further, which is to study adults in their own right. Of course, we don't want or need to scrap everything we know about autism from decades of child research, and studying children with autism is very important. But sometimes even modification of child instruments can be short-sighted. 
we have to go beyond making items appropriate, like saying other kids to other adults or changing references from play to hobbies. And take a close look at adults, those who were both diagnosed as children and those who were diagnosed for the first time in adulthood, and carefully think through how autism manifests in older individuals and how to capture that in our instruments. I then asked her, does the study suggest that intervention for language ability should be more stressed? Speech therapy is great, but I'm not sure people understand that they go hand in hand with social communication as much as this paper shows. I want to make a note that baby sib studies have been studying this for years, but of course in younger kids. She replied, now that's an interesting question I had not anticipated. First, let me emphasize that I think interventions for language and communication are very important, and my personal bias is that they are a high priority. That said, I don't think this study should be used as evidence for emphasizing language interventions. As you pointed out earlier, it's not the kids who gain language are necessarily decreasing in their severity. They're simply making gains in areas we conceptualize as core or classic ASD symptoms based on our studies of children. In the frequency counts, we were careful to include only 80 young adults who continued to meet autism diagnosis. So it's not that they're less severe, it's just that they have a different pattern of difficulty that isn't being captured by the instrument. Also, there was not a difference in the hours of speech therapy for the three groups. I don't think that is different levels of therapy are making an impact as much as it is that autism manifests differently at different developmental stages by both language and age. Again, not to negate the significance of speech or other types of evidence-based therapies, we do know that early language is one of the best predictors of longer-term outcomes in a broad sense, though we could argue that it's a defining outcome in relation to normative expectations, meaning basically anyone with a lower IQ or who is minimally verbal would be classified as poor outcome because they're not achieving those pre-established notions of what is an optimal outcome. I think if we think of outcome in a different way, language may not be the best predictor. Then I asked her, Dr. Hoosball, finally, what would you want parents of a child who's, say, four or five years old to know about these findings? She said, I think one of the most important messages we need to get out there is that children continue to develop and gain skills, which would suggest that opportunities for learning should continue across the lifespan. I'd make the case that there should be educational opportunities that go beyond what currently exists in the form of high school and post-secondary programs to age 22, give or take a couple of years, depending on the state. I think this is important for everyone. Everyone deserves a chance to continue learning. However, I'd emphasize this to parents of adolescents and adults who may not show more obvious developmental gains, especially those who are minimally verbal. There is evidence for improvement, even if the gains are small. They could be critically important to support learning. I think we should be adapting early childhood interventions to target communication and other skills in young adulthood. It may be that some children may not be developmentally ready for interventions or certain types of interventions when they're delivered in the preschool and elementary years, but by the time they're young adults, they would have achieved the requisite developmental skills that would allow them to benefit from the treatment. However, by that time, many people have given up on teaching them or they've aged out of programs. 
Again, I don't want to overstate findings or come across as overly naive or even unrealistically optimistic. I'm well aware of literature on critical periods and plasticity in the brain, and I don't want to give anyone false hope or unrealistic expectations. So the positive for parents is that children continue to develop across the lifespan. Related to that, I think it's important to try to have their son or daughter reevaluated. So they both have some sort of objective demonstration of what areas of growth have been made, but also so they can modify their approaches and expectations and behavior as parents or any professionals or support team who work with them to allow their son or daughter developmentally appropriate levels of support and independence. So this is from Alicia. Thank you, Vanessa. UCSF's loss is Rutgers gain, clearly. And selfishly, I'm thrilled Vanessa is around in my home state of New Jersey to help people with autism as they get older. And I'm even more thrilled that there's now an institute dedicated to it at Rutgers. She is the ideal person to lead it. Now, another study this week looked not at the same group of people as the Kathy Lord Vanessa Hoosball study, but around the same ages, adolescents and adults. However, they tackled the issue of how autistic people get older and how their symptoms and even biological responses change to stress. We do know from brain tissue research that as people get older, so do their brains. So it shouldn't be surprising that physiological changes occur. And it won't be surprising to anyone who has known someone with autism across their lives. However, it is worth noting and documenting and studying, especially in this way, because this does have a potential for intervention. There are studies that look at the stress response of people with autism, but not that many investigating results, few that look at a social stressor, and none until now that compare different age groups. Julie Lowndes Taylor at Vanderbilt and her colleagues investigated the stress response in adolescents and adults with autism. What causes stress and triggers stress response? Well, as it turns out, in people without autism, and this is very sad and disappointing in my opinion, stress is caused by the prospect of being negatively evaluated by other people. It triggers strong physiological and affective responses. We have an inherent motivation to be perceived favorably by others. This may be adaptive when you think about being accepted into a tribe as a cave person or something and needing to be seen favorably, but individuals who exhibit a pattern of heightened sensitivity to social evaluation have health risks like cardiovascular disease. So this fear of being judged can actually kill you. It's so bad that the mere anticipation of social evaluation may be considered a stressor. Now, I get this. The authors refer to public speaking as an example. People normally get nervous because they speak publicly for fear of saying something wrong and looking like an idiot. I think for those of us without autism, a lot of us just stop caring about things like that after a while and we lose this, thank goodness, but not everyone does. You can actually measure this stress response experimentally using something called the Trier Social Stress Test. In this test, individuals are presented with a scenario in which the participant must prepare a speech to convince a panel of judges. These judges show no facial expression or body language of encouragement or discouragement. And this speech is a job speech, so it's meant to convince this panel that they're the best candidate for the job. It's then followed by a serial subtraction task where in front of this panel of judges, people have to subtract backwards. 
This is a surprisingly difficult mental task where participants have to mentally subtract out numbers and report the responses. They used to do this sort of thing on a show called Are You Smarter Than a Second Grader? And they did this sort of thing comparing adults with second graders, and sometimes the second graders did better. So these participants are told they will be judged. So the stress response can happen long before the test itself, the anticipatory stress response. The participants give spit samples throughout, so scientists can gather cortisol levels. Cortisol is a hormone that is actually found in spit, which is a biological measure of the stress response. Now, this isn't the first time this effect has been tested in autistic adults, and other studies have looked at the response in adolescents, but none have done a direct comparison of the two age groups. So the results were this. Adolescents and adults had different timings and different patterns of this stress response. And let me be more specific. For adults, and they were young adults, not older adults like me, the stress hormone level increase started during the adaptation of the stressor and was maintained throughout the exercise and gradually declined until it was over. It was at a high level throughout, both before, during, and after. On the other hand, adolescents showed a spike in cortisol in response to the task, more of a jump compared to the ongoing high levels in adults. Now, as you might expect, when they compared the overall levels of cortisol compared to those without autism, the stress response was blunted. This means even though the autistic adults showed high cortisol levels, it still was not as high as people without autism. That part shows support for the social motivation theory of autism. But remember, the response was blunted. It wasn't absent completely. About 23% of adults had a marked increase in cortisol in anticipation of the response. And overall, this response was maintained. Now, this may test the extreme situation. And many of us experience this stress all day, just much more mildly. Every day as we look around and worry about how we look, we appear and how others perceive us. Now, as far as intervention goes, if people have lower cortisol levels, should we be giving them cortisol? No, I'm not saying we should be giving cortisol to people with autism. I'm not even thinking it. But there may be different strategies for treating stress and anxiety in people with autism in different social situations involving moderating the stress response. This cortisol pathway actually originates in the brain, and it has been the target of intervention done in people without autism. So why not look at it in people who do have autism? Thanks for listening this week, and I'd be remiss if I didn't wish everyone a happy Labor Day.